Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, welcome again and good morning. Um, glad you're here with us. As Ryan said, um, this is a time where we read through the Bible together and study it. And so I'd ask you now, if you have your Bible with you um, or want to use the Pew Bibles, we're going to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 8, starting in verses tw- uh, for, verse 12. We'll read through verse 29. As always, our passage is also printed for you there in our order of worship. Um, two things to keep in mind this morning as we read. First, and we, I think we're pretty consistent with this if you've been with us over our study of John since last fall. John, in chapter 20, verse 31, makes his uh, desire for us very clear. He says that he wants us fundamentally to believe in Jesus. And it's important that you see that belief in Jesus is not a one-time event only in which you become a Christian, but faith in Jesus is living, maturing, abiding, a relationship with with him that is an everyday active trust by which we return to him, through which we return to him, to rest in him. We're always fighting for more faith. We're trying to rest more in who he is as he presents himself to us in his word. John's whole gospel, you'll see it again this morning, constantly drives us toward that goal. And second, and we noted this way back at the beginning of our study, one way to view John's gospel is as a trial story or a trial narrative. Um, Imagine it like a courtroom. In John's gospel, there are accusers. um, There are bodies of evidence. There are prosecution witnesses and defense witnesses There are judgments that are scattered throughout the story. We need to think about where we find ourselves in that courtroom. For our young disciples this morning, our young Christians, something for you to think about in terms of our passage. Um, If a friend were to come to you and ask you to prove that light exists, how would you prove to them that light is, in fact, light? Now, let me be clear, I'm not looking for an explanation of particle or wave theory. I have no doubt that some of you could give me that. But much more simply, what would you say to someone who questioned the very existence of light in the first place? If you are able now, I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's holy word, starting in John chapter 8, verse 12, we'll read through verse 29. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's word. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. 
These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You may pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, we pray that you would bear witness to us now as we read here about the life and ministry of your son. We may see him high and lifted up and that we might know him to be the light of the world. I'm not just in theory, Father, but in the deepest part of our souls, we pray that you would give us faith to embrace him, that you would nurture and cultivate faith into maturity where it's always already present. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want us to look at three things in the passage, and we'll just jump right in. Three C's to kind of help us work through the passage. The first one is we want to look at Jesus' claim. So that's the first C. Jesus claims that he is the light of the world. What does he mean when he says that? What is the claim that Jesus makes there. Second, the challenge. The Pharisees asked Jesus to prove his claim through witness testimony. So how is it that Jesus meets their challenge? And then finally, we're going to look together at the cross. What role, what unique role does the cross play in this particular trial? So we'll look at the claim, the challenge, and then the cross in turn. First, the claim. Now, it's important to remember, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, that in John's original gospel, our passage follows the end of chapter 7. So, minus the story of the woman called in adultery that we looked at last week. And that just means that the setting is still the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus is still speaking in the Jerusalem temple at that feast. Now, why is that important? Well, just to review, the Feast of Tabernacles was one of the three major feasts in Israel that pilgrims would go to to kind of celebrate. Others were Passover and Pentecost. The Feast of Tabernacles in particular celebrated God's provision for Israel, especially during the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness after the Exodus. And the three most dramatic examples of God's care for Israel during that generation or during that 40 years were these, manna from heaven, water from a rock, and light from the fiery pillar of cloud, which led Israel through the desert. 
John chapter 6, what does Jesus say? First, I am. I am the bread of life. That is, I am the true manna from heaven. John chapter 7, we looked at it two weeks ago. I am the living water. I am the true water from the rock for those who are thirsty. Now here we are in John 8, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. That is, I am the true fiery pillar of cloud to lead you out of darkness. And the point in John's gospel is very clear that Jesus is always, always, always God's truest climactic provision for us. He is the answer to our greatest need. He is the answer to our deepest longings. And to further dramatize this particular scene, John says in verse 20, you can look there with me, that Jesus made this claim, probably think of it as an offhand comment, but he makes this claim in the temple treasury. And the temple treasury was adjacent to the court of women. That was the court that during the Feast of Tabernacles was lit up by these four massive lamps. So picture it. Under those lamps, at night, Israelites would gather together and they would dance through the night with torches in hand. And so strong was the glow that according to Jewish writers, there was not a courtyard in the land that was not illumined by the light of that celebration. That is the context in which Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That is to say, your enduring joy, your reason for feasting, your reason for celebration will ultimately be found in me. And yet for all the drama, the emphasis here, the crux of Jesus' claim is not really about light. So the construction of what Jesus says really is better read this way. The light of the world am I, or the light of the world, here's the emphasis, I am. And this is why the Jewish leaders were so offended, not because Jesus claims to be a light that brings comfort and wisdom and happiness to people, all true by the way, but the greater claim is the one he repeats in verse 24, where he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he. I am him, or there's actually no predicate there. If you, unless you believe that I am, then you will die in your sins. So the I am is the claim that the Jewish leaders continue to recognize as blasphemy. And you can see why. Look back with me at our Old Testament reading this morning from Isaiah 53. You can just flip back there. By the way, I can see that you're not doing that, so go ahead and flip back there with me. I can see you. You realize that, right? Okay, good. Let's review verses 10 through 11 just for a moment, just two of the verses. Verse 10, put your eyes there with me. This is God saying to Israel, he says, you are my witnesses. See the witness language there and notice the irony that Israel was supposed to be God's witnesses. What role do they play in Isaiah? They are God's accusers. You are my witnesses, declare the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand what? I am he. I am. Verse 11, I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. You see, repeatedly in John's gospel, Jesus attributes to himself a phrase from the Old Testament that was reserved for Yahweh alone. And here's what I want to leave you with that first point. At the heart of the gospel, at the heart of the gospel, there is not a, a, um, a how-to 
At the heart of the gospel, there is an I am. And what that means is that Christianity is not fundamentally about how to get the most out of your life or how to be happy or how to be your best self or how to vote or how to be a good parent. Now listen to me, those are all legitimate derivatives, but they are only legitimate derivatives downstream. And the main thing, the center of the Christian gospel is an answer to the Pharisees' question in verse 25 when they ask Jesus, who are you? And the answer to that question is so simple and it's absolutely exclusive when Jesus says, I am he. Say, why does that matter? It matters because the fundamental call, what God is calling you to, the fundamental call of the gospel is Jesus saying, come to what? Come to me. You see, he doesn't say first, come to my principles or come to my lifestyle or my habits or my theological system or even my benefits, all of which, again, are appropriate downstream. It is Jesus himself as the great I am who stands before us and knocks and says, come to me. Isaiah 43, I, I am the Lord beside me. There is no Savior. And it's why Jesus will say in verse 21 to the Israel, the Jewish leaders, he says, you'll seek me. You will seek me. That is to say, you will always be looking for the great I am. In your life, you will seek an I am. But if your search does not bring you to me, you will never find your way to darkness. Jesus is not just a light for the world. He is the light of the world. That's the claim. And now the challenge. What evidence does Jesus give us to prove his claim? Let's look at verses 13 through 20. This might make your head hurt. Hope you had your coffee this morning. Verse 13, the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. That is to say, it's not valid. Why would they say that? Jesus gives us a clue in verse 17. He says, in your law, again, ironic, of course, because it's really his law. He's the lawgiver. But in your law is written that the testimony of two people is true. That's a direct reference to Deuteronomy 19, where the law dictates that only on the evidence of two to three witnesses can a charge be sustained. If you were here with us last week, you'll notice that a bunch of witnesses brought the woman caught in adultery to prosecute her. That's why. More than one witness is needed to substantiate a claim. And so in verse 18, Jesus plays along. He says, I bear witness, that's witness number one, and the Father who sent me, he is witness number two. If you're reading John carefully, you're like, ah, well, if two human witnesses are good enough, then surely two divine witnesses are good enough as well. But what do they say back to him in verse 19? They say, where is your father? And what that means is produce the witness. Produce witness number two. Now, this is going to be a circular argument, but what I want you to see here is that there's no other way to do this if his claims are true. And then I want you to see actually the way Jesus gives us inside the circle. So verse 19, Jesus replies to the request to produce the Father as a second witness. And he replies by saying this, you don't know me or my Father. Because if you knew me, you would know my Father also. So there's a circularity. Jesus says to them, if you don't know me as the I am, 
then you can never hear the witness of the Father because access to the Father is dependent on first believing in me. Yes, there are in fact two witnesses, but their testimony becomes a benefit of faith, not a condition for it. And so, for the person who does not know Jesus as the I am, like the Pharisees, this is absolutely unconvincing. Because Jesus' evidence consists precisely in what he's being asked to prove. So we're back where we started. The original challenge, you are bearing witness about yourself. Here's where you get inside the circle. It's the only way. Look how Jesus initially answers the, the question in verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. In other words, my witness bearing about myself is sufficient. I alone constitute my own proof. And it is only Jesus who can say that. Why? Because Jesus really is the word made flesh, as John has told us. The word of God cannot but be its own witness. Because it would no longer be God's word if it demanded another authority, a higher authority, recognized by us in order to confirm its authenticity. There is no higher authority to which you can appeal to assess who Jesus is. Not your intelligence, not your reason, not your feelings, not the expertise of scholars. Because if he really is the word of God and the lawgiver, he is the only and best possible witness to himself. Here's how to make that imagery real clear. The question I asked our young disciples in the beginning, how do you prove to anyone that light is light? How do you know? What would you tell them? My guess is if we asked a kindergartner that, they would say, well, open your eyes. And there's nothing more trustworthy than that. And do you see why? Because in creation, light alone is always its own evidence. All other things are seen and known by means of light, but light alone is uniquely known by itself. So maybe some of you are familiar with the famous C.S. Lewis quote from his essay, The Weight of Glory, where he says this, he says, I believe in Jesus as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by, I, by seeing it, I see everything else. Jesus is alone his own evidence. And the power of his words and deeds alone provide the best testimony to his claim. And I tell you that this morning because if you're struggling with faith, which at some level we all are, but maybe struggling even to come to faith, I want you to know that you can look for arguments. There are good arguments. There's good arguments for the historicity of the resurrection. People can offer you arguments for the gospel, and they can, what we hope would happen here, bring you into a community where the plausibility of Christianity seems more authentic because you're loved well. You can get to know Jesus through the love of others. And all that's necessary. But at the end of the day, it is Jesus himself who is always standing before us as his own greatest witness, asking us to open our eyes to the love of God that has been poured out through him. Alone, alone, he is light. Alone, he is the light of the world. And then nowhere does that light shine more brightly than on the cross. 
Let's turn our attention there specifically to verse 28 just for the sake of time this morning. You'll see this is how Jesus ends this dialogue. We, we get different versions of this dialogue throughout John's gospel, so some of it sounds repetitive. It's hard to convince people, right? So Jesus said to them, verse 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know what? I am. Then you will know I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. Jesus is saying there that the lifting up of the Son of Man, the lifting up of himself crucified in lowliness, is the moment that the great I am of the Old Testament, the great I am of Isaiah 43, is truly known, Yahweh himself. And so we might ask ourselves, and we should ask ourselves these questions, what is God like? What's God really like? Is God good? When I see pain and suffering in the world, how do I know that God is on the side of righteousness? Does he love us? Can I know him? Where would I find confidence to stand before him? How do I get a right standing before him? Where would I find power to love and obey him in all things? Where does God most clearly testify to his own existence and character and reality? And Jesus says here, in the lifting up of the Son of Man. That is on the cross as a guilt offering, as an atonement sacrifice for you. That's where you're to look. One theologian beautifully put it this way. He said, the burning bush. By the way, you may remember that story. The burning bush in Exodus 3 is when God revealed himself to Moses. And Moses said, I'm going to need a name here. Can you give me a name? And do you remember what God said? What did he say? I am who I am. He said, I am. That's your name. The burning bush was only a preview. The bleeding tree itself is the feature. The burning bush was only a preview. The bleeding tree is the feature. The high God makes himself most known in the low Jesus, and the cross is the ultimate revelation of that evidence. It is the public unveiling of God's character. Now to end this morning, look with me at verse 29, and we'll end here. Jesus continues and says, He who sent me is there with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I just want you to notice, it's not the heart of the passage, but notice a relationship in those final words. It's important for us. I want you to notice the relationship there between what Jesus calls God's enduring companionship and Jesus' perfect obedience. You see that? So not being left alone by God, that is companionship with God, what is that predicated on? Jesus says it's predicated on doing that which is always pleasing to him. Where is that standard of obedience met? I'll give you a hint. Nowhere in your life. Not in you. So that at no point can any of us say with integrity, I always do the things that are pleasing to God. So how can God be for us? How can he be with us? How can he be close to us? How can we know his favor and that he never leaves us alone? Only in the sun being lifted up as the light of the world. It is through the obedience of Jesus and his obedience alone which culminates on the cross that we are brought out of darkness and into, as he says, the light of life, which from Genesis 1 all on 
is always companionship with God himself. So here, once again, this morning, the great call of the gospel. Come to me. Out of your bondage, sorrow, and night, into his freedom, gladness, and light, we say, Jesus, I come. He is beckoning you to come to the great I am and feast once again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning and the testimony um, that your word brings us to your son by your spirit. And oh Lord, we would just pray that you would nurture faith in us, that, that hearing the words come to me would never be old for us. That hearing about how Jesus is presented to us in the gospel and on the cross would never be stale. Oh Lord, would you produce holiness in us? Would you cultivate it? Lord, through the obedience of your Son. Would you give us humility? Would you help us to follow him? Would you bring us out of the darkness we feel in so many ways, we pray? Give us glimpses, evidentiary glimpses in our experience that Jesus really is the light of the world, born, witness born by your, your spirit at work in us, we pray. Lord, even now as we come to the table, would you feed us on him? In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Covenant, please visit covenantpres.com.